Welcome to the first Sunday in a rather exciting new year, I think. It's lovely to have everybody here this morning, having braved the ice outside. And it's lovely to have all you kids with us as well. Thanks for joining us this morning. Now, I'm taking the whole of the service this morning. I'm also announcing. And I'd like to start by reading a passage from Job, which basically acknowledges God's magnificence and us surrendering ourselves to him. It's from Job 26, I'm starting at verse 7. He spreads out the northern skies over empty space. He suspends the earth over nothing. He wraps up the waters in his clouds. Yet the clouds do not burst under the weight He covers the face of the full moon, spreading his clouds over it for a boundary between light and darkness. The pillars of the heavens quake, aghast at his rebuke. By his power, he turned up the sea. By his wisdom, he cuts through the proud. By his breath, the skies became fair. His hand formed the gliding serpent, And these are but the outer fringe of his works. How faint the whisper we hear of him. Who then can understand the thunder of his power? Let's sing our first song together. We bow down and confess. We bow down before this amazing and mighty God. Loving Father God, we have plans for this year, but as yet they haven't happened. Lord, this year is formless and empty. Darkness covers its deep possibilities. Father God, may your spirit hover here. Come and illuminate our days. Father, I like to think of a picture of our year in front of us as a fresh piece of artist canvas where we've drawn faint pencil lines of all our plans. I pray, Lord, that you will remind us that it is not just what you have done or what you have promised to do, but what you are doing now that is important. Lord, give us the courage this year to submit our year to you, to submit our lives to you, for you to fill in the colour on that canvas. Lord, give us the ability to let go so that you can paint those bold brushstrokes. Lead us. Inspire us, Lord. Energise and strengthen us to let you take control. To take us, individually and as a church, where you want us to go this year. Lord, 
Fill us with your spirit. Change us in ways that only you can possibly get the credit for. And as we live in Christ and he in us, we ask this prayer by his strong, resurrected name. Amen. This morning at 5.30am, we began our dedicated week of prayer. The idea being to lift up the year before it really starts and invite God to be in every decision, in every plan that we make together, not just hope that he'll rubber stamp it when we finalise what we want to do. I'm going to be here from 5.30 till 7am every morning and an earlier time than previously announced, 9 o'clock and 10.30 every evening and Kate's going to be here between 10am and 11am in the daytime, Monday to Friday. I'm also going to be here 9 till 10 next Sunday morning to kind of close out the week and wrap it all up. So please just come along and join whoever's here for as much or as little time as you want to uh, commit to. Even five minutes will be worth it for you and for me. So as you can see, there's a lot of prayer cards that are pinned up around the room on our prayer line. And there are also ones on your seats. We're going to come to that later. But hopefully by the end of the week, this will be absolutely chock-a-block full of things which you've written down, your prayers, ideas, Bible verses, other prompts which which have already been written, things like our church activities and, and other useful verses are already up there. Some of us might feel like we've got a list of things to bring to the prayer week, which is fine, but I think we also ought to be open to the possibility that maybe we have to throw our lists away and just come and, like Mike was talking about last week in the morning service, If you missed it, you really must listen to it on the podcast because it's fantastic. Just make time for God and Jesus because they're desperate to sit and spend some time with us. We don't have any specific care news. What I want us to do this morning is just spend a couple of minutes thinking about people that we regularly think about, pray for, care for. And if you have anyone else to add to the list then you have pieces of paper on your chairs and I'd like you just to write them on there. If you don't want their names to be shared publicly, then just put some initials and after the service we can pin them up on the prayer line to, um, to add it in as part of our dedicated week of prayer. So we're just going to have a minute or so now to have a bit of silence, a bit of time to reflect and to write down on these cards if you want to. This morning, I'd like to build on what Tony said a couple of weeks ago. And once again, if you missed it, you really must go and listen to it on the podcast because that also was a fantastic service. Tony was talking about opening up to each other about offering our accountability uh, to each other and offering to each other to be um, a confidant or someone who will listen to someone else's questions or concerns or issues and that we will become, by doing that, a church that will be a refuge for the people, probably the people who need it most. Maybe the people that 
would previously think are perhaps unreachable. So I'm going to start with a statement that is possibly slightly shocking, um, maybe challenging, and then unpack it a little bit and see what it really means for us. And my statement is this, that the love of God is not dependent on his approval. What I'm saying is that God's favour does not rest only on those people who have it all together. Now, let's just um, back up a bit, keep that in your heads for a moment, and come back into the Old Testament to Jeremiah chapter 12. It's just the first verse of Jeremiah. And he says this, You are always righteous, O Lord, when I bring a case before you. Yet I would speak with you about your justice. Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? And I think, really, that's still true today. Sometimes I feel like I'm surrounded by things that make me absolutely mad, make me livid. Whether it's people like Bernie Madoff or Robert Maxwell or the pirates in Somalia or maybe the global economic and political conditions and inequality in the world that forces people to become pirates. Human trafficking, child labour, slave child labour in India, China, women being sold into forced prostitution in the sex trade, child soldiers, or a Taliban insurgent that will happily fit a child with a bomb vest and blow them into a million pieces just to kill a British or an American soldier. Or maybe even just people who were a bit dishonest or sneaky. I had a client with me the other week who told me that he was going to take out as many credit cards as he could, max them out, and take out as much bank loanage and overdraft as he could, and then emigrate or just flee to New Zealand and hide out there for the rest of his life, which he didn't expect would be much beyond the age of 50 because of the lifestyle he was going to lead. And I see these things and I hear that kind of statement and I just want to scream out like Jeremiah, it's not fair! Why does the way of the wicked prosper? Why do all the faithless live at ease? And I'm sure just like me, you're longing for that day when God is going to put it all right. And not only will these people be judged and corrected and parity and fairness is going to be restored, but also I think they will be given another chance to turn to God and ask for forgiveness, to be reconciled, to be restored to God. And I often feel that judgment is something that we are often scared of. Um, I think culturally, perhaps in our community, 
we are often scared by judgment, perhaps because of what we read in Revelation and other uh, prophetic books. But I don't actually think, personally, that judgment is something to be scared of. Judgment is, is the thing that's going to bring eternal fairness and restore balance to this world that we've somehow managed to break. Judgment is going to bring freedom for the oppressed. It's going to bring comfort for the mourners. It is going to bring the wicked to justice. And all those things that make us mad, the things that where we wish we could have done something or stepped in or stopped it or paid somebody back for something they've done to us, God is going to step in and fix it. And those moments when we say, it's not fair, it's not fair, God, all those moments are going to be corrected. And it says that for those people who believed with their hearts and followed Jesus in their lives, these people, it says, will be blessed beyond imagination. It says in Ephesians 3, verse 20, to him who is able to do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine. So judgment is something that will bring ultimate redemption and restoration for those covered by Christ. And at the same time, and I'm starting to walk on thin ice here, I think, I believe God is going to reach out once more and take one more open-armed gesture of love and acceptance to those people that we think are untouchable before he slams the door shut. Now, I don't actually have any hard scriptural evidence back up for that opinion, but there are verses like the verse in, in 2 Peter, verse, uh, chapter 3, verse 9, it says, The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. He is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. And then there's that verse in Ezekiel. Ezekiel 18, verse 23 says, Do I take any pleasure in the death of the wicked, declares the Sovereign Lord? Rather, am I not pleased when they turn from their ways and live? And I think there's probably some, some very good examples when we look at Bible people and Bible events of God reaching out again and again and giving chance after chance. I think of Jonah, possibly one of my favourite Bible characters because he's such an angry little man. And he gets another chance to give the people of Nineveh another chance to turn to God. We have Abraham pleading for Sodom and Gomorrah and God showing more grace than Abraham asks for. We have Pharaoh, who, although it says he hardened his heart six times and God did it for him four times, he still had ten chances with ten plagues. At least, that's as far as I could discern reading it the other day. He had ten chances to turn around and say, yes, you are God. And I'm sure there's lots of other people that we can think of. Chance after chance after chance. 
But then, of course, that's grace. It's startling. It's quite shocking. It's completely non-human. It's what we might call counterintuitive. But God reaches out and gives yet another chance and extends his grace with open arms to the most evil people, the most depraved and wicked and dishonest people, because he loves everyone. And because the love of God is not dependent on you gaining his approval, only on you being human. And sometimes we don't like that, do we? But J. Edgar McGee has this wonderful phrase, wonderful quotation, he said, in his um, old scratchy voice when he was, he was quite old, he said, This is God's universe, and he does things his way. You might have a better way, but you don't have a universe. God says to Moses in Exodus 33, I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. So who are we to question the extent of God's grace? We're going to sing together now, Who Can Know the Mind of Our Creator? Because it speaks of all these things. This God that will reach out and that we really can't understand and shouldn't really question. I believe that God offers grace to all, regardless of age, of gender, of size or colour, regardless of religious persuasion, sexual orientation, past, present or future sins, state of mind, state of health, state of finances or socio-economic status. God wants everyone to come to him but he is prepared to meet us where we are because he loves us because of grace now before I share this next thing with you I'm not looking for sympathy I'm not looking to start any kind of dialogue the chapter is firmly closed but I'm illustrating a point for you this year we had three miscarriages well 2009 and in the middle of the pain and the confusion in the middle of the apprehension and the anxiety in the middle of the questioning and the doubting the emotional upheaval we have known and felt the presence of our God in the middle of the earthquake the wind and the fire we have heard the still, small voice of God whispering, I am with you. I am on your side. I want you. I love you. I adore you. And it's because God is prepared to meet us just where we are that we're going to sing this next song, Just As I Am.
without one plea but that your blood was shed for me and that you bid me come to thee O Lamb of God I come This picture is of Tracy Latimer She suffered from cerebral palsy severe seizures and horrendous pain She was on copious amounts of medication and had endured several mutilating operations. More were in prospect. But eventually, her father, Robert, got to a point where he felt enough was enough. One day, while the rest of his family were at church, without discussing his decision with anyone, including his wife, he took Tracy out to the cab of his truck and connected it to the exhaust. He waited for her to die. Then he carried her back into the house, into her bed. When the family returned, he said she had died in her sleep. That was in 1993. It took seven years of legal wrangling before he was eventually sent to jail. He served seven years inside and is now on parole in a halfway house a thousand miles away from his wife and other children. Now, my heart bleeds for that poor man. Because you can almost reach out and touch his pain as he stumbled through his feelings and his motives. And yet it seems the consequences for him didn't feature in his calculations. It was Tracy's suffering that was paramount and his other children's finer feelings. He said he couldn't use one of his guns because her siblings would be traumatised by the messy scene and, well, he just couldn't bring himself to shoot his own daughter. So a man gasses his beloved daughter not out of hatred and evilness but out of compassion and love. He couldn't bear to see her suffer any more and probably the burden of caring had become too great for him and his family. Now obviously we can't have people going around killing others but surely, surely, surely there's a case here for compassion. Now he seems to have been astonishingly naive about medicine and the law. He's appalled by the bigotry of religious people about this case. And so am I. He's incredulous about the workings of the legal system. And so am I. He just wants a fair trial by jury and the chance for the truth to be heard and understood. So do I. Maybe even God does too. Because God still loves this man and his daughter. And the debate over whether it's some heinous crime, a mercy killing, alleviating suffering, I'm sure will rage for decades but God's grace is offered to this mess. 
God says, in this upheaval, in this messy, complex situation, I am with you. I am by your side. I offer you forgiveness and healing and restoration. I love you. I adore you. Why? Because God's love is not dependent on his approval. Or on you getting it all right, on having it all together. Because God's love isn't fair. Grace isn't fair. God isn't fair. And in God's ultimate act of unfairness, he sent Jesus, the ultimate gift. We're going to share bread and wine in a moment. But first of all, my good friend will come and read for us Acts chapter 2 from verse 14 to verse 47. Then Peter stood up with the eleven, raised his voice and addressed the crowd. Fellow Jews and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let me explain this to you. Listen carefully to what I say. These men are not drunk, as you suppose. It's only nine in the morning. (laughs) No, this is what was spoken by the prophet Joel. In the last days, God says, I will pour out my spirit on all people. Your sons and daughters will prophesy. Your young men will see visions. Your old men will dream dreams. Even on my servants, both men and women, I will pour out my spirit in those days and they will prophesy. I will show wonders in the heaven above and signs on the earth below blood and fire and billows of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon to blood before the coming of the great and glorious day of the Lord. And everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to this. Jesus of Nazareth was a man accredited by God to you by miracles, wonders and signs which God did among you through him, as you yourselves know. This man was handed over to you by God's set purpose and foreknowledge, and you, with the help of wicked men, put him to death by nailing him to the cross. But God raised him from the dead, freeing him from the agony of death, because it was impossible for death to keep its hold on him. David said about him, I saw the Lord always before me, because he is at my right hand, I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart is glad, and my tongue rejoices. My body also will live in hope, because you will not abandon me to the grave, nor will you let your Holy One see decay. You have made known to me the paths of life. You will fill me with the joy of your presence. 
brothers. I can tell you confidently that the patriarch David died and was buried and his tomb is here to this day. But he was a prophet and knew that God had promised him on oath that he would place one of his descendants on his throne. Seeing what was ahead, he spoke of the resurrection of the Christ, that he was not abandoned to the grave, nor did his body see decay. God has raised this Jesus to life, and we are all witnesses of the fact. Exalted to the right hand of God, he has received from the Father the promised Holy Spirit, and has poured out what you now see and hear. For David did not ascend to heaven, and yet he said, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all Israel be assured of this. God has made this Jesus, whom you crucified, both Lord and Christ. When the people heard this, they were cut to the heart and said to Peter and the other apostles, Brothers, what shall we do? Peter replied, Repent and be baptized, every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ, for the forgiveness of your sins. And you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. The promise is for you and your children and for all who are far off. For all whom the Lord our God will call. With many other words he warned them and he pleaded with them. Save yourselves from this corrupt generation. Those who accepted his message were baptised and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to the fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe, and many wonders and miraculous signs were done by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Selling their possessions and goods, they gave to anyone as he had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favour of all the people. And the Lord added to the number daily those who were being saved. Peter wraps it all up in a fairly spectacular first ever sermon. And he makes it clear to the people that he's speaking to that Jesus was this ultimate gift from God. Jesus is the personification of grace the ultimate act of grace the ultimate act of unfairness and God says in his giving of Jesus in this meal that we remember Jesus with God says I am with you I will even come to you to show myself through my son and he will do the work for you. He will defeat the power of sin by not succumbing to temptation, by not falling where you fall, by living the life that you can't ever live. He will do everything that you could never do.
everything that you fail at, every time you stumble and fall, every time you go back willingly and pursue that temptation that you know you need to break free from. God is saying in the life, death and resurrection of Jesus, I have done it for you. I am with you. I love you. I adore you. Before we share the bread, Sam Parker is going to come and say thanks for it. Having an example to follow is so wonderful, Lord. I am here today thanks to the example set me by certain people gathered here who I first met when I began Bible classes in Chalton in 2002. We are so thankfully thankful and humbled, Lord, for the example you have set us to adhere to and reflect upon as we meet here weekly at the Bethel where we can enjoy a fellowship of believers in the example you have set us. In Luke chapter 22 verse 19 at the Passover meal, Jesus said, after breaking the bread, this is my body given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. Thank you. Trevor, will you come and give thanks for this wine? Father God, in this in this world in which we live, in this place where I exist, in this experience that we all share, your love isn't fair. Your love doesn't make any sense. Your grace isn't fair. And in this world it doesn't make any sense. And at times you, God, don't appear fair. And in this world, you don't make any sense. As we look at you, Jesus, on the tree, that doesn't make any sense. And that's definitely not fair. Help us, each one of us, look into your eyes, Jesus, and, and see what does make sense. And that is in our relationship with you. In our relationship with you, Father, your love is clear. It's without any doubt. It's unchangeable. It's without any conditions. And it's before us on the table in a cup of wine. Help us experience that love, that grace, you as we share this cup together as we accept and believe your love your grace and your person thank you Father Amen I'd like us to sing two songs together firstly into your hands I commit again and secondly, your grace is sufficient for me. I've mentioned a number of times that God isn't fair, that grace isn't fair. But quite frankly, in this life, I don't want God's fairness. I don't want a love 
from God that only depends on his approval of me because I know that my life is riddled with things that God doesn't approve of. I know that I'm weak and fallen and foolish and broken. If I was looking for fairness now, fairness is Romans 6 verse 23, which says the wages of sin is death. If we were looking for fairness now, none of us would last till the end of the service, I'm sure. I don't want a fair God in my lifetime. I want a God who is unfair. I want a God who is lavish in his love and generous with his grace and free in his forgiveness. I want the God of Romans 5 verse 8. God demonstrates his own love for us in this while we were still sinners Christ died for us I want the God of 2 Peter 3 verse 9 the God who is not slow in keeping his promise as some understand but he is patient with us not wanting anyone to perish but everyone to come to repentance I want the God of Colossians 3 verse 13 says forgive as the Lord forgave you because God's forgiveness has been done it has been offered Jesus walked it talked it died to secure it rose again to reclaim it and sent his spirit to spread it through those that believe. All we have to do is accept it and pass it on because God's love is not dependent on his approval and neither should ours be. We can stay seated while we sing this next song. Jesus, 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 your love has melted my heart. So God offers us forgiveness in Christ. In Christ, God's grace was made to walk the earth and to scream out his amazing, endless love and capacity to forgive. And for those of us that choose to accept his grace, that choose to take up that forgiveness, he pours out in the blood of Christ this fantastic promise from Colossians 3. It's verse 3 and 4, it says, For you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears then you also will appear with him in glory. Choose Christ. And God, speaking through Paul, promises to hide us with Christ in himself. Yeah, I want to be hidden with Christ in God. Because later on in that chapter, in verse 11, it says, Here, 
hidden with Christ in God. Here there is no Jew or Greek, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. It's a picture of God's family. God's family which is strong at the centre and open at the edges because God's love is not dependent on his approval or you being something special or on you being something that you aren't. Lucy Task is going to come and read for us to finish. Colossians 3, it's verse 9 to 17 and it tells us of that God who has met us as and where we are because of his great love for us. It tells of of his invitation to us to lead us and grow us to bigger and better things because he loves us too much to leave us as he finds us. And it describes to us how God desires a relationship with us that is transforming as we invite him to transform us by the power of his spirit at work within us. Do not lie to each other, since you have taken off your old self with its practices and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. Here, there is no Greek or Jew, circumcised or uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave or free, but Christ is all and is in all. Therefore, as God's chosen people, holy and dearly loved, clothe yourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness and patience. Bear with each other and forgive whatever grievances you may have against one another. Forgive as the Lord forgave you and over all these virtues put on love, which binds them all together in perfect unity. Let the peace of Christ rule in your hearts, since as as members of one body you were called to peace, and be thankful. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly, as you teach and admonish one another with all wisdom, and as you sing psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs with gratitude in your hearts to God. And whatever you do, whether in word or deed, do it all in the name of the Lord Jesus, giving thanks to God the Father, through him. Steve Turner is going to pray for us after we've sung one last song together. I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship you. Great and mighty God, all-powerful, all-knowing, we know you to be our God. We know you to be a God who is just and fair and loving and kind and compassionate and forgiving. You have revealed yourself to us in so many ways. You are the God who has created this world. You are the God who pours out blessings upon us day after day. 
Lord God, thank you for all these blessings that give us joy and happiness. You are our God at these times. You are our God in sadness and sorrow. You are our God when we forget, when we are distracted. Father, here and now, we bow ourselves before you. You are our God. Father, we thank you for this time that we have shared together. Especially as it is time that we reflect and remember your son, all he has done and all he continues to do for us. And Father, many words have been spoken and sung and prayed and read. I pray that as we meditate upon these things, they draw us closer to you that we understand you and your love and your purpose so much more clearly. And Father, we know not what this year holds for us. You do. You know it all. Father, it is our prayer that you send your son back to us. But only you know when that time will be. And so until he comes, fill us with your spirit so that we may do your work so that we may care for one another, look after each other, so we can go out and tell people about you and your son, to tell them of the wonderful gift and a promise of life that you have for them. Father, that is our work until your son returns. Keep us strong in it. Keep us encouraging each other. You put us here as a church to do a job. I pray that we give you glory in doing that. May peace be on our hearts. As day after day we focus on you, we think of your son and your words fill our lives. Father, as your children, hear our prayer now. Amen.